This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, May 5th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore, and this is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. Here to help me kickstart this Friday edition of the show is Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics. Thanks for joining me today, Michael. Hey, my pleasure. I, um, I'm sorry to see the Memphis Grizzlies get knocked out of the playoffs as early as they did, especially to the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James. Um, but my Boston Celtics are still hanging in there. So if you need a team to root for, I got one for you. Uh, well, let me take you up on that. You will never, ever catch me rooting for the Lakers. So <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the way I go. That sounds about right. Uh, Michael, we're going to start today talking about a new pilot training center at Fort Smith. Uh, the conservative price is $765 million. Yeah, that's a few more dollars than I have, probably maybe <laughs> than you have. I don't know about your personal finances, but yeah, that's a good chunk of money. We have to remember that that, that Ebbing uh, Air National Guard Base at Fort Smith was selected earlier this year to be this one-of-a-kind foreign pilot training center. Pilots from Singapore, Switzerland, Poland, Germany, and other countries, uh, other U.S. allies that participate in what's called the Foreign Military Sales Program, uh, you know, when they buy when they buy these uh, fighter planes, these advanced fighter planes, especially this F-35, this fifth-generation fighter, uh, they need a place to train. And so that had been happening at Luke Air Force Base in Arizona, but the Air, Air Force decided they want to consolidate that training on one base, one place, and so Fort Smith was selected. The cost estimate, um, as part of an interview, and I will have a story. That is a pretty lengthy story. I'll apologize in advance for that, but it's an in-depth about how it came to be that Fort Smith was selected. But anyway, during the interviews for that story, I learned that the price tag to get this mission, to get Ebbing Air Force Base set up, is about $765 million. A big part of that are these simulator programs for, for these advanced fighters, but, but that's a lot of money. And they have a short, a relatively short period of time to make those investments. Now, unfortunately, the Air Force uh, declined to let me talk to Lieutenant Colonel uh, Drew Nash. He's been tasked to make sure this happens to get uh, what they call to execute basing action processes uh, to get that up to speed. So, but they wouldn't let him let me talk to him for this story. But their goal is to try to have this thing up and running in late 2024 with um, the the full complement of about 12 F-16s and 24 F-35s uh, arriving sometime in 2025, maybe early 2026. So that's not a lot of time on the calendar to build out facilities for what could be about 1,000 people, 1,000 more people out there. So anyway, it was interesting to finally kind of get a price tag and again, uh, Colonel uh, Rob Ader, he's the director of military affairs for the Arkansas Economic Development Commission. He was the one that threw that number at me. He said it's a, somewhat of a conservative estimate that the Air Force is using. But anyway, a big investment and a big commitment by the federal government, by the military in Fort Smith. So it will be interesting to watch as that um, that investment progresses. Yeah, when I see that number, $765 million, uh, I, I almost have that much money. Um, but yeah. but my question and is... you're still working in radio. That's how I can afford to work in public radio, believe yeah. it or not. Uh, Michael, my question for you is, who is getting this invoice for $765 million? Who is expected to foot that cost? Yeah, that's the, that's the federal government. That's your Department of Defense. So that's my tax dollars, hard at work. You betcha, yes. <laughs> So keep paying your taxes, brother. That's right. That's right. Um, so so we're looking at you know a pretty big investment here in Fort Smith. Speaking of big investments in Fort Smith, uh, company ABB has uh, provided UAFS a million dollars to create advanced workforce training program. We talked a little bit about this on Wednesday's show, but Michael, maybe you can give us a little bit uh, more detail about what's going on here and kind of how this came to be? Well, you know, ABB, they're the company, they're out of Zurich, Switzerland. They're the company that bought Baldor Electric um, back in early 2011. And it was a $4.2 billion deal, talking about big numbers. But 
they recently announced, and they have been supporting uh, the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith over the years, but this was maybe one of the more bigger investments, but they are going to give the university $1 million to really support their advanced manufacturing programs because that's what ABB, they produce a lot of robotics. And they're involved in it. it not only uh, – it's kind of a two-part deal. Not only do they produce advanced-type machinery and robotics, but they use advanced machinery and robotics to produce their advanced machinery and robotics, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So and they have a large facility, a large manufacturing facility in Fort Smith. But I think what's good about this uh, is that what we're being told is that it will support a lot of the uh, workforce development, workforce instruction uh, for a lot of their U.S. sites, for a lot of their U.S. locations. So it's a great win for the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith. Also, we had a a three-part series that we just wrapped up about the university, and it's not unlike some of the other universities in the University of Arkansas system. Um, They're having some trouble with budgets. Um, so they had to institute a hiring freeze. They may have to raise tuition, which they avoided doing. In fact, the University of Arkansas Fort Smith is one of the lowest or not the lowest tuition schools in Arkansas, but they're going to have to, they've got a proposal to raise that by almost seven and a half percent. They've lost rep through a loss of state funding through a loss of some of the pandemic programs. Their revenue has dropped uh, almost 28% in the last three to four fiscal years. So we've got a series of stories out about what they're doing on that. The chancellor, the UFAS chancellor, Dr. Teresa Riley, has been, frankly, very transparent, very open about what they're doing, about the revenue struggles, about how they're accommodating and responding. Um, she talks about how the foundation and the university still has – still well-financed and has – um, a lot of money in reserves, but sometimes the university system, they have rules about what you can and cannot use the reserves for. So that puts them in a financial bond in some areas. So we hope our series of stories kind of outlines the struggles they're facing and what they're doing to respond to those. Yeah, I think we're seeing kind of across the board, not just at UAFS, but just kind of higher ed right. in general is, is is really struggling to to keep up with revenue costs, keep up with the things that, uh, you know, maybe we saw eight, 10 years ago in higher education. Do you think, Michael, that that this boost from ABB will kind of help to, uh, you know, make things a little more uh, sustainable at UAFS? Well, no, I think those are separate pots of money. That's a separate mm. uh, issue. This will, you know, provide some support. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's not any type of relief. I'm sure it is, but you know the, some of the struggles that the university is facing is just the revenue. You know, roughly 22% of the revenue comes from tuition and fees, and they can't. Uh, and as I think uh, you and probably some of your smart listeners have heard, there is a, the potential for what's called an enrollment cliff at universities all around the country. And so, how do you prepare for that? So I think the ABB gift is separate from the immediate financial struggles that um, and budgetary concerns that they're trying to address. Finally, we've got Fort Smith-based Norris Group has bought the former Fiona Hills Country Club building and the 12 acres for just over a million dollars. Again, I think that's probably close to my budget uh, for buying a, a country <laughs> club. Um, l- let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's it's been um, kind of a long time coming, you know, David Malay, the former owner of the Fiona Hills Country Club and the golf course, he shut all that down December 31st, 2018. It just wasn't wasn't making money. And then there were several, what I call on-again, off-again efforts to buy the club, and they just fell through. And by September 2020, you know, it, um, it was kind of known that there would be no cavalry to the rescue, so to speak. And so he has put uh, Malay – has put parts of the club up for sale. For example, some of the fairways, some of the have been redeveloped for homes, for apartments. But the country club has just kind of been setting up there, and it's a great asset. It's got a great view of the city, but it should just kind of been setting up there empty. And uh, Brooks Norris, I talked to him last Friday. He confirmed that they bought it for $1.1 $1. $1 He His company, 
they they uh, construction company. They also manage a lot of apartments. But his plan is to build up. He was pretty vague on the, the plans, not because he was being coy, but they're you know just in the process of developing plans. But they hope to build a social club, uh, some apartments on the 12-acre area, create some space for commercial development, build a, what he calls a 55-plus uh, active lifestyle center. But I think the key thing is that um, I think what the people in this part of Fort Smith are – interested in and excited about is that he's going to put that country club that nice building what's there i should say nice structure of a building the building is kind of a 1960s 70s look it needs it's in great need of renovation and a new look but he's going to take the bones of that building and put it back to use put a restaurant in it and that type of thing so we hope to learn more later brooks has promised me that when they get some more definitive plans he and kelly clark who's his chief operations officer will We'll share those plans with us, so um, that may be a few months out. But the good news here is that um, that building's not just going to set empty. It's going to it now has a purpose. Absolutely. Uh, as the resident pickleball reporter here at Ozarks at Large, <laughs> uh, it sounds like a great place for some pickleball. Well, that's one of their ideas. So that's the pickleball is the damnedest thing in terms of just jumping out of nowhere and being popular all of a sudden. So uh, I can't imagine. If he's trying to create um, a venue that drives people, that brings people in, you'd have to have a pickleball court as part of it. You can read about pickleball. You can read about UAFS. You can read about the Pilot Training Center, all of that at Talk Business and Politics. Michael Tilly, thanks so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome, sir. Amplify Festival, a multidimensional art and music festival showcasing the work of local creatives, is taking place May 6th on Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville. Featuring local and regional artists and musicians, an art market, workshops, panel discussions, and more. With shared knowledge and experience on how to create on a budget, how to market your art and music, and how to build a community through art. Gates open at noon. For more, AmplifyNWA.org. That's A-M-M-P-L-I-F-Y-N-W-A dot org. Walton Arts Center presents Hadestown, winner of eight Tony Awards, including Best Musical. Hadestown intertwines two mythical tales, that of young dreamers Orpheus and Eurydice, and that of King Hades and his wife Persephone into a musical journey. It's a trip to the underworld and back May 23rd through the 28th. Tickets at waltonartscenter.org. Later this hour, what does it look like to pitch stories for a daily news podcast? Someone throws out an idea that's like, hey... This is happening, which isn't always the best because everyone has phones and it's getting push notifications. Everyone knows kind of what's happening. We really get into it when someone's like, here's what's happening. Here's the question I have about it. Mary Harris takes us inside the newsroom of What Next, the daily news podcast from Slate. That's in about 20 minutes today on Ozarks at Large. This weekend on the Vinyl Hour, we sit down with Logan Simmons and take a look at outsider folk singer Michael Hurley. If you feel the message in his music, you're in love with it. And maybe it doesn't have that far-reaching sort of aspect to it, but yeah, the, the, the magic is there, man. That's this Saturday at 5 on KUAM. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. Marlon Blackwell, the E. Faye Jones Chair in Architecture at the University of Arkansas and former guest on Ozarks at Large, has been elected as a 2023 member to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. Blackwell is the founder of the Fayetteville-based design practice Marlon Blackwell Architects, as well as a fellow of the American Institute of Architects. Blackwell is joined by a cadre of Arkansans, including Hillary Rodham Clinton and Bill Clinton, writer and educator C.D. Wright, and fellow distinguished professor Peter Ungar. The Benton County Circuit Clerk's Office is holding a passport application day tomorrow, Saturday, May 6th. Records Administrator for the Circuit Clerk's Office, Vili Mercado, says the event gives people an opportunity to complete a new passport application outside of regular business hours. We just wanted to um, provide convenience to our citizens as we uh, realize the difficulty and hardship that they uh, that could cause them to join the work week to get off work and even pull their kids out from school. 
um, being that if there's mi um, in minors involved getting application, both parents need to be present along with the um, applicant. So we, we require all of them to be here at the time of the appointment. So by providing this, uh, it gives them the um, ability to not have to take off work and more convenience for them to come to, to us. This is the county's third passport day. Mercado says new applicants and those with passports that have been expired for more than 15 years are able to utilize this service. She says required documents should be filled out in advance and applicants should bring payment for the processing fees. Fees for the application has to be in a form of a check of money order, so that's something that um, customer needs to know. Documents that we sent off to Passport Center must be in um, a certified copy. So birth certificate has to be an original for minors under 16, and if they're first-time um, passport applicants. There's a lot of information, for example, like name changes or anything like that, um, custody paper. They do need to go to travel.state.gov and get more information from there. Reapplications will not be available, but passport photos are available for all applicants for a $10 fee. Mercado says any U.S. citizen in the area, not just Benton County residents, are able to apply at the circuit clerk's office. The passport day is this Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 215 East Central Avenue in Bentonville. Information about the event and a list of needed documents can be found at bentoncountyar.gov. Seven Hills Homeless Center in Fayetteville announced yesterday that CEO Mike Williams will be resigning to pursue other opportunities effective May 3rd. Becky Sisson, a Northwest Arkansas native with 25 years of experience in nonprofit work, has been appointed as the interim CEO. Sisson joined Seven Hills in January of this year as the development director and prior to that worked for seven years at Rescue Mission of Roanoke, a nonprofit assisting the homeless population in Roanoke, Virginia. The board of directors at Seven Hills says the search for a full-time CEO will begin in the coming months. Northwest Arkansas Community College received a $618,000 grant through the National Science Foundation to expand its integrated design program and further develop its design curriculum. NWAC's original integrated design program included disciplines in fine art, construction technology, and computer-aided design. The new funding will now include two additional disciplines, graphic design and engineering technology. The grant will also provide funding to purchase specialized equipment, expand community workshops and classes, and enhance professional development opportunities. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders has declared May Rescue a Pet Month in Arkansas at the request of Good Shepherd Humane Society. Governor Sanders says she urges all Arkansans to consider opening their hearts and homes to a pet in need by adopting from a local shelter or rescue organization. Good Shepherd Humane Society is located in Eureka Springs and takes in hundreds of animals each year. The shelter is reducing adoption fees during the month of May to help as many pets as possible find loving homes. The Arkansas women's and men's track and field teams are hosting and participating in Arkansas Twilight all day today and tomorrow at John McDonald Field in Fayetteville. The final meet on the schedule for the women's and men's squads will be the SEC Outdoor Championships beginning next Thursday in Baton Rouge. The number 12 Razorback softball team begins their final conference series tonight, playing Missouri and Columbia. And the number 6 Razorback baseball squad begins a three-game series this evening against Mississippi State in Starkville. Disney Concerts presents Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back in concert Friday, September 8th at the Walmart Amp. Guests will watch a screening of the film as members of the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas perform John Williams' Oscar-winning score live. Tickets and information at amptickets.com. KUAF is supported by Butterfield Trail Village, a premier Northwest Arkansas retirement community catering to active lifestyles and resident well-being, offering a variety of amenities and living options, including apartments, cottages, and village homes. ButterfieldTrailVillage.org for more. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, May 5th, 2023. I'm Timothy Dennis, and joining me on the phone is Becca Martin-Brown. She's the features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, are you staying busy this time of year? No, I'm sitting around eating bonbons, trying to figure out what to do next. Well, there are just so many options, it's kind of hard to decide sometimes. Well, I hate making decisions, so I made decisions for other people. We have a seven-day planner 
But all you have to do is just follow instructions. Okay. Well, let's get going. All right. Tonight, we're starting off the weekend with this because it's a tough show, and you want to do it first. But you want to do it because it's a really good show. Arkansas Public Theater is doing something called the Shadow Box, and it's essentially set in three cabins that are hospice facilities where three different people are dying and their families are there with them. Mm. The show goes back to the 70s, and it was kind of a trendsetter at the time because it breaks the fourth wall, which still hasn't done much in theater until more recently. But the stories are just exactly like all the rest of our lives. One is a family man who doesn't know what's going to happen to his wife and his kid. One is a little old lady who has dementia, but she has a real strong reason why she doesn't want to die. And one is a guy who's found happiness with another guy, but his ex-wife shows up. So there's obviously some laughs, but yeah, I would take my Kleenex. Yeah, it doesn't sound like um, it's very lighthearted, for lack of a better term. No, but it's really good. It's all weekend and next weekend, but it's on your agenda for tonight at 8 o'clock at Arkansas Public Theater at the Victory in downtown Rogers. And tickets start at $20 at ArkansasPublicTheater.org. All right. Tomorrow, let's go spend some money. There's an artist open studio tomorrow for Denise Lanuti, who makes the mm. beautiful lamp work beads and the fused glass architectural elements and mm. garden glass. It's from 10 to 5 tomorrow, 1 to 4 on Sunday. And you can go from there to the Arkansas Pottery Festival at the Nadine Bomb Studios in Fayetteville. Denise's address is 623 East Rock Street. And you can just show up during those hours, 10 to 5 tomorrow. The Pottery Festival is from 10 to 6 tomorrow and 10 to 4 on Sunday at Nadine Bomb Studios. And how much you spend is between you and your significant <laughs> other. Fair enough. But Sunday night's free. Sunday night is the debut of a new theater company called the Theater Collective. Mm. It's a bunch of friends that have done theater together in other places like Arkansas Public Theater. And they've decided that there is space in the Northwest Arkansas theater community for some other things. So they're starting out by debuting during the Sunday night social at Theater Squared. And they'll have some singing and some monologues. And the best part is it's from five to seven. Get there early if you want to sit down, and it's free. And then on Tuesday, this is a choice for me. Two of my favorite bands in the world, possibly my two favorite bands in the world, are both playing Tuesday night in two separate cities. Don't think it's possible to do both unless you have a time turner or a TARDIS. (laughs) Okay. Gates open at 5.30 at the Arkansas Music Pavilion in Rogers for Godsmack. I saw Godsmack a whole bunch of of times in the early 2000s. I saw them with Pyro. I saw them unplugged. They're really amazing. And to see a show where the entire audience is screaming the lyrics back at them is pretty cool. Tickets for that with opener I Prevail start at $35 and there's also reserved parking options and a fast track option so go to amptickets.com and see what's available Okay. or at 6.30 go to the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks in Fayetteville for Trout Fishing in America if you don't know who Trout Fishing in America is, Tim, how can we tell them? Uh, I will say just look up the song Pico de Gallo on Spotify, and that tells you all you really need to know. <laughs> or, oh gosh, a million other songs. They've been playing together for 40 some years. They moved up here from Houston. Their names are Ezra Eidlett and Keith Grimwood. 
They're great humans. They make great music for all ages. And the concert at the Botanical Garden is part of Artisphere. You need to register at waltonartcenter.org slash artisphere simply so that they, if they need to move it inside, they know how many people are coming. Gotcha. Gotcha. There's two more music choices on Thursday night. Okay. The Levitt Amp Fort Smith Music Series starts at 6 o'clock Thursday for the season at the Riverfront Park Amphitheater. It is free, and the first performers are Allison Grace and Brother Maven. Okay. And the Railroad Rail Yard, rather, live concert series starts May 11th in Rogers with an 8 o'clock show time. No, 6 o'clock show time, I beg your pardon. And it's End Fall, Fight Dream, Monk is King, and Townhouse Fire. All great local bands, really. Those shows are free. If you want to make a reservation, it's some tiny little amount of money to get a table and chairs. Yeah. So totally up to you. Then on Friday, yeah, more music. <laughs> Friday, as part of Artisphere, is Trail Mix. This is the concert thing where you wander from spot to spot, this year along the lower ramble down by the library. Right, right. And hear different bands. And I love it's free. It. Good luck with all of that. <laughs> Thank you, Becca. <laughs> Becca Martin Brown is the features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, find some breath sometime. Let's rest sometime. Yeah, that, that, I, I like that. I like that. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. Joining me in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 is KUAF's underwriting director, Ryan Versey. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, Matthew. How's it going? It's good. I am uh, glad it's Friday. Glad to uh, get into the weekend. And uh, I think we're going to make a few people's lives a little happier to be in the weekend, too. Right? Pretty much every time I come on the air, yeah, somebody's getting something <laughs> for free. So, yeah. <laughs> It's going to be a good weekend for a couple people here, actually, so yeah. Absolutely. So we are giving away tickets to two different festivals happening. Um, Let's start, Ryan, with Amplify. It's the festival happening at Mount Sequoia. It's music, it's multimedia, it's mentorship. A lot going on at Amplify, and we've got stuff to give away. We do, we do. We have a pair of tickets and, uh, you know, if you're interested in winning tickets to some of these upcoming events or if you want to win uh, passes for, like, certain exhibits at museums and things like that, uh, or if you want to win baseball tickets to natural games, mm-hmm. make sure you're, one, following us on social media, yep. as well as checking our website for the giveaway page. We keep updating it constantly. There's always something to give away. So stay in touch with us. Absolutely. Because Arbor Buchanan of Winslow won these tickets by doing exactly what I just stated. So Fantastic. Congratulations to Arbor Buchanan of Winslow. You're going to Amplify. Love that. And that is happening this coming weekend. Indeed. Uh, tomorrow at, uh, at Mount Sequoia. So Arbor gets to pick a friend to go and uh, enjoy that festival. Correct. We do give tickets away in Paris so you don't have to go alone. So. Very, very thoughtful of you, indeed, Ryan. Indeed, indeed. Uh, next, we've got uh, tickets, a pair of tickets to give away to Space Berry. It's a music festival happening at the farm in Eureka Springs. Um, really fun, and uh, you know, it's 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 got it's got some good vibes. It's got some pretty good vibes. I've heard. There. I have yet to go myself. I think this might be the year I do. So yeah, and if I do show up to Space Berry this year. I'm probably going to run into Donna Gwaltney of Fayetteville. Fantastic. Because Donna Gwaltney is the winner awesome. of a pair of tickets. So, yeah. Donna Gwaltney of Fayetteville. Donna gets to bring a friend. Maybe she'll run into KUAF's underwriting director. Indeed, while indeed. While hanging out there. So, Spaceberry is happening not this weekend, but the next weekend. Correct. It starts on Thursday. Uh, Ryan, what do you got going on this weekend? You know, I'm going to stop by Amplify for a bit. I love that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to take a look at that. Other than that, I'll probably just be hanging out with my now one-year-old daughter. Yeah, it's wild. It's insane. Yeah, my uh, my wife is officially 35 weeks pregnant. You're not too far behind me, I, pal. I'm, We're, we're going to be there soon. <laughs> Man, you're you're coming up on the finish line. It's so true. Yeah. Ryan, 
Thank you so much for being here. Ryan is the underwriting director here at KUAF. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to be in any of these studios on the air with you guys. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. The podcast What Next, produced by Slate, releases an episode six days a week. If that sounds like a lot, it's because it is. The Daily News podcast covers a lot, from breaking political news in Washington, D.C., to the Adderall shortage, and just about everything in between. I recently spoke to the podcast host, Mary Harris, and we start the conversation with the process of creating a daily show, from ideation to execution. There are so many different ways the show can go, which is like kind of the value of it. It's usually one interview and it, you know, it'll start with like, okay, we have an editorial meeting. Someone throws out an idea that's like, hey, this is happening, which isn't always the best because everyone has phones and it's getting push notifications. Everyone knows kind of what's happening. We really get into it when someone's like, here's what's happening. Here's the question I have about it. Right. So here's something that's going on that I want to talk about. And then you think about like, who's asking the right question? And then, or what's the question? Who do I want to answer it? Okay, so here's an example of a show that I really loved that we did back in October, which just shows like the kind of iteration that can go into thinking about how we build something. So at the time, John Fetterman's running for Senate. And there are these questions about whether He's fit for office, quote unquote, because he had a stroke back in May and he clearly has some challenges understanding people when he's talking to them. There was going to be a debate where he was going to debate Dr. Oz and that was going to kind of be a thing. Like, could he respond in the moment? And so we know this thing is happening and we know that people want to talk about it, too. We want to talk about it. And so the question becomes, like, how do you cover it? Like, do you cover it with a local news reporter in Pennsylvania who's going to tell you, like, here's what voters think, here's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Or do you do something a little bit different? And what we decided to do was we called up this woman, Sarah Luderman, who's a really fantastic reporter for the 19th, and she's disabled herself. She's really fabulous at talking about disability rights issues. And we sort of put this question to her, like, here's what's happening in the news right now. Like, what would you say to this? And she was so provocative. She she just had a really clear take where she was like, I don't think we should be in anyone's medical business. And like, you don't know what this, you know, you voter don't know what it means that he has an auditory processing challenge. Like, just give him the tools and decide like the important thing is is what he what he's saying he's going to vote for. And like, that's what we actually need to be talking about. But she did it with really concrete examples. She went through step by step. And then at the end, we were like, oh, I think we need a little bit more Fetterman in this. So we did call up a local reporter who sort of gave us the take on the ground, which is also interesting because she was basically talking to voters who were like, I don't care about Fetterman's disability. Like, it doesn't matter. It makes him more empath- It makes me more empathetic towards him. So it was this, it ended up being this really interesting show that was also a little prescient. Like, Fetterman didn't just win his race, but I think after he won his race, the narrative became, like, voters were empathetic to him, voters loved him. And, like, that was all in this show. And also all of the kind of pushback from voters of, like, why are we getting in his business about this? And so we were sort of able to lead on that because we were just like, what do we want to ask here? Similarly, when Fetterman went into the hospital for depression, we did a different show with one guest, this guy Jason Kander, and he had had his own mental health challenges and it had pulled himself out of a race for office basically because he's like, I need to treat my PTSD. So he sort of talked about how is it being kind of one of these shiny, democratic, great hope people and then all of a sudden having to deal with your own mental health. And he was so frank as well. So it's like you can see with each of those we're talking to people about the news, but we're also trying to give you more context to understand it. We're also trying to give you like a bigger frame for looking at it. So you're not just talking about like, here's what happened today. Here's what happened yesterday. But you're understanding like, oh, here are all the other things going on around this story. What sort of calculations do you have to make when it comes to discernment of what you can cover, what you should cover, and what you might need to take an extra day to cover? Huh. 
I'm thinking about that. Like, I'm so <laughs> I'm never like, let's not do that. We need an extra day. But some, I mean, so like Tucker Carlson, for example, yeah. I think it was very easy for anyone to jump in. You know, the news came out on Monday. You could have easily have like thrown something together and had something on Tuesday. But you didn't. You waited a day on that. Right. Why did you why did you take an extra day to think about that? I mean, I think the simple answer is just like we were hoping for the other shoe to drop with Tucker Carlson, right? Like we were like, okay, we're going to arrange the interview to be 930 Tuesday morning to air on Wednesday because hopefully by then we'll know what happened. We still kind of don't know what happened with that. So it's like I feel like a lot of it is just like trying to guess like what's going to happen when and like figure out. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. But we also knew that like Tucker would last. Do you know what I mean? Like people would want to keep talking about Tucker because he's been like such a <laughs> a bugaboo for so long. The fact that he just vaporized over the weekend, you know, people want to have a minute to talk about Tucker. And so we knew we had a little extra time on that one. But the main thing was like really waiting for the extra sh- for that shoe to drop. So we have a story coming up that I'm working on that I'm super excited about where we did something where we don't usually do, which is we go out and do reporting and go into the field and talk to someone in place, which is always like so nice to do. And that's a story where it's about Um, the overdose crisis right now, like what's happening and how people are addressing it. And so for that, that's a good example of where we're doing a deep dive, taking the extra time, because there is so much noise around that story. Like, it's really hard to break through. There's a whole political narrative about it where, you know, Republicans want to talk about the border and fentanyl coming over the border. And they want to talk about how Democrats don't care about you and those sorts of things. So that's like kind of noise in the background. And we wanted to take the time to do something that would be deeper and less noisy. And I think we're doing that. But it's like so that's the kind of story where I think we would really take like time on because we know that it's too easy to get looped into someone else's way of telling it. Mary Harris is the host of What Next. You can find What Next wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can hear an extended version of our conversation on Sunday at 9 a.m. during Weekend Ozarks at Large. It's the Community Spotlight Weekend Review here on KUAF Public Radio. I'm Pete Hartman. On Tuesday, we heard from a relatively new nonprofit known as Heartland Forward. Right now, this startup accelerator is accepting applications for five Eastern Shawnee tribal members to receive training, resources, and up to $5,000 to turn their idea into possible reality. Here's Katie Milligan, Program Director of Innovation and Entrepreneurship with Heartland Forward. Our mission is to change the narrative on the 20 states of the Heartland. So if you're looking at a map and you're thinking Texas up to the Canadian border through the Dakotas, over to Michigan, Ohio, down to Alabama, everything in between. Um, It's actually the third largest GDP in the world if it was its own country. And we have four pillars that we focus on. So innovation and entrepreneurship, health and wellness, workforce development and human capital, and uh, regional competitiveness. And so we consider ourselves a think and do tank. So we really believe that programs and research are what's going to change that narrative. And so we have been running this program now in 11 states in 16 communities, um, one of which is with the Eastern Shawnee tribe. We originally did it in Oklahoma and then decided that we wanted to expand it to tribal members across four states. So those tribal members in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri, and Kansas are eligible to apply, and we hope that they bring their excellent ideas to go through the program. You don't have to have an incorporated business. You don't have to have a business plan. You really just have to have a new or novel idea that you think can be tested in the course of 90 days. Mm. Katie Milligan with Heartland Forward. They also have five applications up for anyone in the Northwest Arkansas area to receive funding and resources. To learn more or to apply, heartlandforward.org. The application deadline is May 22nd. Coming up on Sunday, a Fayetteville tradition makes its return after three years. Washington Elementary's Tour of Homes. For years, this has been the small school's largest fundraiser, And during COVID, they had to take a pause. Here's Sarah Rack, 
with Washington Elementary PTO and the event organizer for the Tour of Homes. This will be our 17th Tour of Homes. Okay. So it's been 20 years ago that a group of the PTO recognized the fact that our Washington Elementary families uh, had homes in some of the most beautiful areas in Fayetteville, in Washington Willow Historic District, and Wilson Park, and Mount Sequoia, and said, what a great opportunity for us to showcase this home, these homes as a fundraiser. But I also want to say, you know, it's not always those kind of classical, or older homes. I love how y'all incorporate some modern stuff as well. It's the old homes, but it's also some of the newer homes with some neat design features. Um, like one of our homes this year is the home of Leanne and Chris Barabow of Moda Studio. And you can imagine it's a very unassuming home on Mount Sequoia from the outside, but when you go inside, it is stunning. It's two doors down from the overlook and the view that they have and what they did with the architecture is so wonderful. So it's just lovely to be able to showcase not only old homes, but really just neat homes in our area. The two homes that are piquing the most interest are the two homes on Mount Nord. We okay. have three Mount Nord and five Mount Nord, and um, both of them are just stunning homes. I have not been inside yet, and I cannot wait to see them. And I think those are the type of homes that people really drive by and are like, oh my gosh, I cannot imagine what it looks like inside. Uh, it'll be a self-guided tour, correct? Yes, it is. So anywhere between 12 uh, p.m. and 5 p.m. Uh, ticket holders can go into the homes in any order during any time um, during that 12 to 5 uh, time block. You can see all the homes. You can see two of the homes. It's up to you. And then there's uh, a pamphlet that tells all the history of the home and some of the key features and uh, just makes it a, a fun event, to a great afternoon, and we're praying for good weather. That's the event organizer, Sarah Rack. The Tour of Homes, an important fundraiser for Washington Elementary here in Fayetteville. They used to host parking during Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue, and with that moving north to Bentonville, they're very grateful for the return of the Tour of Homes. Again, that's Sunday. Just go to FayettevilleTourofHomes.com. You can drop by French Metro Antiques on Dixon Street or just drop by any of the homes on the tour, and you can get a ticket there as well. Yesterday during the Community Spotlight, we heard again from Lawrence McElroy, Director of Arts and Culture at Historic Cane Hill. On Sunday, in conjunction with the second annual Arkansas Pottery Festival, the museum will open an exhibit on what's called Niloke Pottery. Here's Lawrence. A lot of people in Arkansas will be familiar with that word. Niloke was a pottery company that started in Benton, Arkansas, began in 1910 to produce a line of pottery called that became known as Missionware Swirl. So we have a very unique collection of that, some of the best of the best. And then we have now put together a collection of pottery of other swirl manufacturers who sort of jumped on the bandwagon following Nilek's success in the early 20th century. The reason we're doing it in Cane Hill, because Nilek is an Arkansas-based company, Cane Hill has a very uh, strong history of pottery making. In the 19th century, of all the potters in Northwest Arkansas, we can only document 17, over half of them are working in Cane Hill. And there are very interesting connections between those potters in Cane Hill and the potters in Benton, and particularly with Nilek. I'll give you an example. One of the families in Cane Hill were the Caldwells making pottery in the 1860s. A couple of them land in Benton eventually, and one of the daughters of that family marries Charles Highton, who founded Nilok. Lawrence McElroy with Historic Cane Hill. You can find out more by searching Historic Cane Hill on Facebook. Real quickly, Ray Warren with the Kings River Watershed Partnership wanted us to know that their Carroll County River cleanup was a huge success last week. 22 paddlers grabbing 59 tires and of course the annual outhouse that Ray says they fish out as well. Just another example of how the Community Spotlight reminds us of all the great groups out there making our part of this world the best it can be. Hear more of those stories next week on the Community Spotlight. And remember, your voice matters. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. With me via Zoom is our favorite film critic, Courtney Lanning. Thanks so much for being with us again this week, Courtney. Thanks for having me. Wow, favorite. Even Kyle doesn't call me his favorite. You might need to host these more often. <laughs> I'll pass that note along. Okay, Courtney, I must be transparent with you. Unlike Kyle Kellums, I am not an avid consumer of all things Marvel. 
I can probably count on one hand the amount of Marvel movies that I have seen, but one of those was the original Guardians of the Galaxy, which came out in 2014. And today we're going to talk about the latest in the series, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. You know, I feel like even if people say I'm not a huge fan of Marvel, I've seen a few films like you. I think most of them have probably at least seen and enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy because it doesn't feel like your typical Marvel movie. You know, Captain America's not running around. You don't have Thor swinging in to save the day. This is just a a wacky adventure with a group of Marvel's outer space oddballs. Yes, it doesn't feel like a comic book. It doesn't feel quite as uh, like you have to be an insider to know what's going on. Right. And, you know, the, the good thing is, you know, this being... Uh, that kind of trilogy within Marvel. Um, and given their recent stumblings with the last few movies, I mean, Ant-Man 3 was was not great. Um, they really needed a win here um, to sort of reassure people that, yes, they could still make decent movies, um, fun movies with human characters. And, you know, that's exactly what James Gunn did. Uh, the director of this movie is already clearly moving on to go handle superheroes for DC across the street. This is his last rodeo with Marvel, uh, and it shows. You know, he he goes out with a bang. Yeah, the director, James Gunn, um, had I did not connect the dots until doing some research for our conversation today that he is the brother of Sean Gunn, who I know so intimately from his role as Kirk in Gilmore Girls uh, and is, of course, in these films. Um, so this is, you know... For those who love the Guardian of the Galaxy movies, this feels like a good continuation of that storyline, you think? It does. Um, this is a movie of goodbyes. Um, I don't know what Marvel will do in terms of Guardians going forward, um, but this is a goodbye for some of the characters. It's a goodbye for this trilogy. And, and like we said, it's a goodbye for James Gunn. And everybody just clearly came into this movie ready to swing for the fences. But... No one more so than Bradley Cooper. Uh, he, of course, voices Rocket Raccoon, the anthropomorphic, gun-wielding, loudmouth, jetpack-carrying Rocket Raccoon that we've seen that we've seen in the previous Guardians movies, and the only member of the Guardians who didn't turn to ash when Thanos snapped his fingers. He comes in. He gives one of the best performances of you know any of his recent movies, and I really think that makes us feel for this highly emotional story that comes from, again, of all people, a, a talking raccoon. <laughs> As we pointed out, you know, the the latest Ant-Man movie was a bit of a letdown. You know, I listen to some, some podcasts in the media world, and they talk about how Marvel seems to be doing, trying to do too much with too few amount of people working on, uh, you know, graphic effects and those sorts of things. But are they rebounding with this film? I don't know if I would call it a rebound from one movie because again, you had this lingering sense, like even though there were movies in phase four that I, I did like, you know, I, I enjoyed uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And of course I, I, I love Spider-Man No Way Home, but you know, it just seems like with some of their other projects, Ant-Man 3 especially, Marvel is kind of floundering a little bit with their recent releases, both in, in TV series and in movies. Fortunately, um, again, thanks to James Gunn and, and everybody else coming in ready to swing for the fences, this film is full of tears, cheers, laughs, and it shows that Marvel still has some fuel left in the tank. They just need to stop focusing on these world-ending crises and sort of dial things back down to character-based stories with deep human moments. And if, if they can do that, you can take a story as simple as, hey, we need to save our friends um, and turn it into a good movie. Courtney, you'll be back with us again next week. What can our audience look forward to hearing about then? So back in the um, late 90s, I believe, there was a, an anime series that came through called Knights of the Zodiac. Uh, most people who remember it remember it because its opening song was I Ran by a Flock of Seagulls, <laughs> which big band during the 90s. Well, they're making a live action adaptation of the film now. It's got Sean Bean in one of the lead roles. And I will talk to you all about that next week. 
Courtney, do you ever worry? I know that you're a huge fan of anime. Do you ever worry that the move from animation into live action can uh, can turn some people off, or do you think that maybe it's more invitational to those who otherwise wouldn't seek it out? All the time. <laughs> Whether um, Disney is making live action remakes of its its previous cartoon hits, or whether they're trying to translate you know Japanese animation into live action, I am constantly worried about that stuff because. 99% of the time, it does not turn out good. You can point to Netflix's attempt to remake Death Note. They've tried to make a live action Dragon Ball Z movie. Most of the time, it just, it doesn't work. Um, I can't, can't even count on one hand how many live action anime adaptations I've seen that I went, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully this is an exception to the rule. We'll see. I, I do like Sean Bean. Courtney Lanning is a film critic for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Monday on Ozarks at Large, after six years of planning, a $300 million industrial wind energy facility may soon break ground in eastern Carroll County. We have to go to where the wind is, and we have to also find a place, though, where we're capable of actually constructing the project. However, the public was not notified about this project until late last month. That's on Mondays, Ozarks at Large, at noon and at 7 p.m. at 91.3 on your radio dial at KUAF.com or on the NPR One app. That's trumpeter Sean Jones doing a tune he wrote called New Journey. And I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this week's edition of the show, we'll hear more from Sean Jones as well as Pat Bianchi, Joe Locke, Wes Montgomery, Eric Reed, Joshua Redman, and much more. Join me for two hours of mainstream jazz right here on KUAF. That's Shades of Jazz. Shades of Jazz tonight at 10 on KUAF. Then again on Saturday at 11 a.m. on KUAF 3. Now, Ozarks at Large may not be on the airwaves on Saturday, but that's no reason to turn off KUAF. You can hear Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me at 9 a.m. It's been a minute at 10. Radio Lab is on later in the day at 2. Hidden Brain is on at 3. And, of course, great local music programming in the evening. KUAF Final Hour at 5. Mike Shirky and the Pick'em Post at 7. And Western Red, and if that ain't country, at 9 p.m. Listen at KUAF.com or with the NPR One app. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Pettigrew. Contributors today include Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, Timothy Dennis, Pete Hartman, and Courtney Lanning. Details about the Passport event happening in Benton County this weekend provided by Daniel Carruth. Ryan Versey comes on the radio from time to time to give away free things. He's the underwriting director at KUAF. I'll be back with you on Sunday at 9 a.m. for Weekend Ozarks at Large. And be sure to start your week with us Monday at noon and at 7 p.m. for a week of brand new shows. Today's show was produced inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Matthew Moore. Have a wonderful weekend and be well.